Hey guys, George Messa, Third Eye Edify podcast. And I am so excited to bring on somebody that I met by making a podcast and we have become friends since. I have a feeling almost all of my audience already knows him. He may not need an introduction, but I'd love for him to introduce himself and give us a taste of what he's all about. Every single time we talk, I learn at least 10 to 15 things. It's an incredible world with you in it, my friend, and I cannot thank you enough for being here and sharing your wisdom. I have a feeling this conversation is going to go to places that we somehow didn't get to yet, even though we've been chatting about the topic for almost two months now. <laughs> so yeah, please man. welcome Slick Dissident to the show and go for it, man. Give us a little taste of what you're all about and where we can find you and stuff. Thank you, my friend. It is such an honor to be here. I'm so excited. In episode number 47, I got to tell you, man, it was 47 was my first episode with the spiders. I got the zinkiness with the 47, Whoa. the magical, the number of the silver. Uh, wow. But yeah, it's a, a total pleasure to be here. You know, the universe has been nudging us uh, consistently to uh, today in our personal weaves. Uh, uh, dawned on you to tell me about the fact that your last name is Mesa, which is a table. Right. And the table has just been uh, speaking to me, like prolifically. And it's so profound. I love it. Um, and I'm honoring that call to come here and put everything on the table. <laughs> ah, there we go. <laughs> Bringing it full circle. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. Yeah, um, I'm very curious to hear more about the table talk we had uh, just earlier today, as a matter of fact. So hopefully we can get to that because uh, you made me think of, as usual, you made me think of a few things that I definitely did not think of. And it relates to entertainment and all the narrative that we're given in every direction. And the Panama Canal, which will be relatively the topic of this conversation, is no exception. Um, the impetus for this is, well, this is a long time coming for those keeping score at home. I've been waiting to bring you on this show and I've been waiting for the right topic. I, I thought of several things. I even We even messaged back and forth about, oh, should it be this? Should we do this? And they were all good ideas. Anything's a good idea, really. But this one struck me, and I, I had to bring you on for this. Because it's, it, I was thinking about North America, South America. Which you pointed out to me, and I didn't even think of that, is NASA, N-A-S-A. That's unreal right there. I didn't even think of that. And uh, maybe we can get into them later. But the Panama Canal can easily be looked at, and now after further research, I'm seeing that it's very clear, it can easily be looked at as an umbilical cord that was intentionally cut, severing the life force from mother to child. And I think um, just that alone is already wetting the whistle for a very long talk about all kinds of things. The, st the stars, history, history's mysteries, so many other things. A physical anatomy, I'm absolutely finding connections to female anatomy. So just giving you guys a taste because there is going to be a part one and a part two here, a free side and an exclusive side. So be ready, be ready to follow us there because it's going to be an incredible talk. So any thoughts about the whole idea before we jump into some of the ideas we had uh, planned out here? Uh, yes. Um, well, quite a few thoughts all simultaneously, but <laughs> you know, the sacred rivers being uh, an umbilicus, is so pronounced it is so utterly pronounced 
There's a great amount of uh, research around the, uh, I mean, the basics and the most obvious are the Mississippi to the Nile. Mm. And the fact that the Mississippi runs basically to the 30 degree parallel and the Nile picks up at the 30 degree parallel. And like yin yangs, they're flowing in each other's direction to meet at that 30, like a, maybe a guitar string of some sort, you know, that band is, is, uh, the way it's described to us, uh, those, these parallels at longitude and latitudes, I think of them as a, um, uh, system, you know, that we can, uh, we can say a couple numbers and encode it in some way and your thoughts go there. You know what I mean? Um, But these rivers as umbilical cords, there's a lot of research around the actual dimensions of the Nile having sacred geometry being two one corresponding to two one six, six times six times six, also spelling the word T-A-X. And these rivers are uh, contentious points. They're lines in the sand for wars and battles. So Napoleon conquered Egypt right there on this Nile River. So these turning of tides uh, also... Cosmic events, they say that rivers flow backwards. Funny enough, the word river in septenary is 55555, so it flows backwards on itself. So there's this strange programming subtly ebbing and flowing in the back channels of our language. And these bodies of water, I think, are where a great amount of um, subtle energy can really be tapped into, uh, both linguistically and numerologically you know uh, the geomancy it's such a fascinating word geomancy uh so yeah uh and oh and we'll probably get into this but when i was young i thought it ran east to west and here we are researching it and it's actually north and south and that is kind of turns your head (laughs) right weird i see (laughs) it's counterintuitive no you're right a lot of maps do kind of choose their own um direction with how they present it and I found a few where, you know, Pacific was at the bottom and Atlantic on the top. And then I saw a lot of flip-flopping too. Because, you know, where I grew up in New York, East Coast, USA, I always think of it as, you know, Atlantic's here, Pacific's here. And I reverse it for you, those watching at home. But um, I'm now wondering too what the gematria of the word meandering is. Because I know the Nile has done that. So I'm wondering um, if it, I remember they said it had. Because it provided the aquifer under the under the pyramids, right? So that, that Tesla copied. So I'm, I'm curious yes. about that. So let's, um, and speaking of that, I think it'd be worth mentioning with the delicate nature of the somehow delicate yet the most powerful thing, the oceans, they find this incredible little point in Central America, in Panama. And they're both just kind of meet there like a dam would. And, and to the, just the idea that it would even be a good idea to cut through that just seems pretty crazy to begin with you know it was a route as i found people would kind of haul all kinds of things set it up on the donkeys they'd meet a boat on the other side during the gold rush people would come from the east coast go there they'd make their way they'd find another boat then they'd make it to california so it's been used for lots of different things and it was being used but before we get ahead of ourselves i kind of want to go back a few hundred years to somebody who I've mentioned on my show before, uh, maybe it was episode six, Spelling Bee, um, somebody that historically, he's he's everywhere and somehow he's not in a lot of places at the same time, which is very suspicious to me. That's good old Christ Columbia, Christopher Columbus. And he brought Spain to the Caribbean. And then 
um, and we can talk about him all day, but I think it'd be easier to kind of move along and get to more of the swashbuckling buccaneer style of good old Henry Morgan, who I'm finding out, and I don't know how I did not know this, that he is Captain Morgan, like the rum. And there's plenty of symbolism to be made there. But one of the first things I want to mention, and actually, let's get this out of the way. They don't know his birthday, but born in 1635 and then died August 25th, 1688. So maybe we can look at those numbers and see if we find something there. He was eventually the lieutenant governor of Jamaica. And this is after all the plundering. This is after all the, you know, contracted killings that this pirate um, actually went through. And something that maybe we can quickly touch on is that I specifically remember with the Iraq war at the turn of 9-11 that there was all this talk, you know, conspiracy talk about private contractors doing some of the dirty work or a lot of the dirty work that the army, navy, whatever was not doing. And these pirates were private contractors. They got a marquee and more specifically a marquee and reprisal, which allowed the issuer to give free reign, license to kill, essentially, on the high seas. And this is during something that I wasn't aware was named the Age of Sail between 1600 to 1850. So they weren't allowed to attack on land, but if you're on the seas, you took what you could and you whatever you claimed was a small percentage went to the issuer. It's if they claimed anything, right? But my point is that th these people were all heroes from where they came from. They were breaking all their rules but it wasn't enough for them to be vilified. They they were all national heroes. We've got rum that we name after him. And he eventually did go to Panama to sack that place too. So it sort of begins the turmoil. And you use the term that I'm very interested, colonialized trauma. So perhaps we can kind of push that into the landmass that is the Panama Canal before we discuss some of the man-made elements that went into you know, the canal itself and all of the esoteric stuff that comes with it. Yeah, man. Yes. Captain Morgan. What a fascinating character. And uh, turns out that name becomes like another namesake. Uh, you know, there's a couple of other later Captain Morgans that come mm -hmm. into, into play. But one thing that right away, I think everybody has the visual of the icon, right? Yeah. We have this uh, a picture in our mind and he's got one leg up on that barrel. Right. Right. Uh, conquering the barrel. Uh, well, the one leg up so much uh, in my mind represents the Ophiuchus, the mm -hmm. character of Ophiuchus, who is um, uh, consistently depicted as stepping off of the elliptical plane. <laughs> I've actually patterned that exact posture out to uh, Christopher Columbus in quite a few of his paintings. I've seen it too. Yeah. Christopher Columbus, because he's, you know, he's that bad boy renegade, gonna, I'll take my business elsewhere. Yep. That's kind of like, he's, <laughs> he's selling himself off. He's self-promoting. And then he's like, no, I'll go over here and sell myself elsewhere. So that's the Ophiuchan spirit. But yeah, isn't this something? And even the tip of the sword is pointing to that heel. Um, and this is like a, this is a biblical inside joke. It goes back mm. so far, um, but he's pointing at that sacred location at the heel of Ophiuchus between the scorpion's tail, the Sagittarian arrow, pointing at the heel of Ophiuchus. And if a drop of blood falls from this, it's also a pivot point for uh, lunar standstills. There's a ton of eclipse oh, wow. magic around his numbers. But if a drop of blood falls off that heel, it lands on the Ara Altair, the table, the magician's table is just under the heel. 
So all of this sacred alignment tells a cosmic story, right. uh, but they bake it into history in the coolest ways. So uh, yeah, that's something I'm looking forward to unpacking. Oh, and, wow. You know, and that's uh, he's crossing a cosmic void. So right. crossing the Panama Canal is co is correspondent to this little narrow gap of opportunity that Ophiuchus, he only gets five degrees of a, of the circle. Oh, wow. I see it. That's incredible. Did you know, I also didn't think of this until just now, but because I have a lifetime of playing music and I've done plenty of very extreme metal where you're almost expected at times to put your foot up on the monitor that's on the front of the stage and, and play in that way. I think anyone that I'm talking to right now can picture this, right? You're supposed to, you're almost supposed to do it. It's like a requirement for you to look badass, right? Swing your hair around and put your one leg up. So that's interesting. And I also came across, you know, just by researching that the NFL, the No Fun League, had banned somebody from doing the Captain Morgan stance at the end zone when he got a touchdown. And, um, and I don't know if he was on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but I would not be surprised in the slightest bit, right, if he was on the Buccaneers. And uh, that was incredible. They, apparently, he was getting, a put, uh, uh, you know, like some funding from them. And then he claims that I had no idea they were paying people to do that. Winning stint. They actually said, if you do the Captain Morgan pose at the end zone, we'll give you money. Giving billionaires money. Like, what? <laughs> you know, let's call them millionaires. Wow. That, that was, I didn't expect that. That was, that was funny. <laughs> yeah. So, I think, I think know, that that, uh, that, that, that pose is, uh, I think it's very initiatory. It's, uh, I think mm -hmm. it, because it's stellar, I right. think it's got that Masonic lineage to it. But like, even the, um, that's one small step for man. That's one giant leap for mankind. I think that's, he was saying, they said that as he's coming off the ladder. Oh, and as he comes off the, the ladder, wow. he, he's literally in the Ophiuchus pose. Now it's now you have to forgive me. I'm jumping mm -hmm. in between f at least four very sacred constellations. This is so mythologically jam packed um, because Ophiuchus, Hercules, and Sagittarius, also the Scales of Justice and the Scorpio mm -hmm. of Betrayal, are all right here. So like. The stories that are based on the stars, they're stories. Right. This right. is the point of betrayal. And so the trigger aspects, uh, the vulnerability, all the leaves have fallen off the tree in the fall. Uh, and also right. the eclipse aspect. Uh, eclipses are signified by masks. When you put a mask on, you are interfacing with the fictional realm, but you're also eclipsing your face. Oh, so wow. all of... All of these things are packed into this location, but I want to say this about the one small step for man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please. Sagittarius has he has a teacup on his on his hip, kind of. And that teacup is like, uh, you know, it makes steam if it gets hot, but it actually corresponds with the uh, oxygen tank that the uh, that the that the guys in the cosmic astronaut suits right. are wearing. They were literally carrying a teacup on their back. <laughs> that is signified by the teacup on Sagittarius. It's amazing wow. how the symbols of the astronauts are just, uh, yeah, playing with the stars. All right. You know, Sorry. you're right. And I, was I get so excited. To see, I'm, I'm excited too, man. And trust me. I, you know, there's two things I just thought of too. You, you mentioned how, you know, they're not in, he may seem sort of relaxed, but he's also in, there is motion here. And I, you said the word stellar, and I'm thinking the word scalar as well. Because when you play, let's say, a musical scale, it's like climbing the rungs of a ladder as you go up do, re, mi. And I'm kind of seeing a ladder climbing element to this 
I was looking to see if he was wearing some kind of heavier gloves that matched the look of his shoes because those could kind of be like the gauntlets that the astronauts were supposedly wearing and handling very delicate cameras and stuff with, which is impossible. But um, <laughs> what, what about this? You know, I think this really gives us a little more insight. I think uh, Captain Morgan's pretty obviously in the center, center pose here. You sent me this and I had already placed it into the slides. So I'm wondering, I'm looking at his hands now more than I was when I first took the photo. He's got one finger pointing down in his right hand. And then he's got the four fingers sitting on his, almost on his knee. You know, it, this just brings us back to torture, slaves, all these different things. I mean, he had plantations. He owned plantations, plural. So, again, national hero. We celebrate him every time we buy this rum. You know, it's just like when you choose to vote for Disney or Netflix when you watch. When you drink that rum, you're, you're supporting this in, in a certain way, you know. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. I'm just trying to bring awareness. That's the whole point of this damn show is that people become more aware of every action they take and become more aware of everything they think they know about history. Because every time we look, this is what happens. Every single time we look, suddenly you've related it to so many different things that are in different centuries, and they all relate in an incredible way. And I'm, man, I'm trying to, you know, slow my heart rate and keep everything nice and calm because we're going to be flying in any second. <laughs> so It is. It's so exciting. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, you've said some interesting things about this particular photo. Please, please, you know, yes. everyone at home will notice there's a table and we had mentioned table earlier. Yes. So the name of uh, Panama, that city, when he invaded it was Portobello. Mm. And in the name of the city is the table. And this table is so significant. It's always, it always will be. Um, I believe one of the secrets of the table uh, for the initiated has to do with Moses coming down with, uh, with little tablets. Well, little tablets are tiny little tables, but they're also math tables. Right. And they're also on your hands. These are the mathematical dimensions of the hands. See Marty leads for more. Hmm. Um, but the, Broken tablets are actually what is hidden in our anatomy, the perfection of the anatomy. But also there's the turning of the tables, there's the exchequer, there's the uh, the masons, they need a 90 degree surface for their rituals right. so that the 90 degrees becomes kind of a use, universalized plane for the ritual right of literally the right of writing things down. And so an even table is a sign of the Masonic uh uh, colonializing of the space. And I say that with a, with a, an open, passionate, compassionate heart. Uh, I, you know, I'm not like pointing fingers at anybody. That's such a strange trigger word. But the sign of a nice flat plane means the Masons did their work right. You know, and, uh, and isn't it funny? My words can't get away from the word right. Know. <laughs> you know, something about the table uh kind of fixates us into a paradigm. And that paradigm is the colonialization of this language that is angelic and it's geometric. Our language is so much more geometric. And that's drawing us into the realm of forms, the Platonic realm of forms that is the heaven of the West. But in that realm of forms, you are going into two dimensional paperwork. You're filling out the forms. And so this is a portal into two dimensional paperwork, the papacy. But Morgan is on the end of the barrel. 
And when you, when you have a life review, when somebody points a gun at you, <laughs> you have your your heart stops beating. He is Mr. Bad Guy at the end of the barrel, right? Wow. And there's a super subconscious knife floating over his head. Can you see the subliminal subliminal knife? Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, that's pointing at the man. Yep. And I I see this as um his reputation his uh, Morgan's reputation precedes him, and he has been his uh his mythology is so domineering that this man uh is seeing daggers when the man looks at morgan all the man sees is daggers coming out of uh, morgan because his reputation precedes him so this is psychological domination you know that's what that dagger is kind of saying mm. to me i see um maybe, maybe a little and it's also got the score too yeah dude yes <laughs> yeah you're right there's some damocles in there he's got something over his head so yep. he's got to do this it's just business don't take it personal Great call, the Damocles. That's a big thing right now. They yeah. just locked down the world with some Damocles on everybody, right? <laughs> Damn. Yep. And then they said, don't look up at their next movie. So, yeah. <laughs> Whoa. You know, again, just trying to not be giddy and, and giggling the whole time because this is unreal. <laughs> you know, you're saying that you're right. We're writing with our right hand and the drawer is drawing us in almost to be contained within the drawer of his or her will. And I find that sometimes paintings can actually, they don't captivate you, they actually capture you sometimes. I found that in, you know, yeah, I'm a maybe not even an ex-nerd, I'm a nerd, sure. I had five different video game magazine subscriptions when I was younger. You know, lucky me, I was an only child, okay? I, I needed reading material. So I was completely captivated sometimes by the image of just one screenshot of a game that I couldn't wait for that was months from release and opening the pages that I would just be completely sucked in. An image that I often see lately, especially the TV, the hand comes out of the TV and grabs your face, brings you in, you know, stealing your light, <laughs> of course. You know, one other thing I wanted to throw in that came up because it's almost, it's frustrating at the very least, right? The, the Isthmus of Panama, which was also called the Isthmus of Darien, which I didn't know about that. It's a very, doesn't sound like a very localized name, speaking of the colonialized drama. Um, it was, and I, as I looked it up, it was thought to have been formed around three million years ago by volcanic activity. But this is, of course, according to good old Henry Fairfield Osborne Sr., who was a eugenics advocate, a known eugenics advocate paleontologist and president of the American Museum of Natural History for 25 years. So I'm not surprised at the very least, right? How convenient. But this coupled with the theory of continental drift is another element where, you know, they bring something into the consciousness before they do some more pillaging. They literally raped and pillaged the land itself with this canal. And I think you know, little things like this always pop up. There's always somebody 1850-ish coming around and, and saying what they want about something and it you have to believe in, you got to believe in all the things they believe in. You got to believe in evolution. You got to believe in all these other theories. I won't name them all now. I think we've already named quite a few, as a matter of fact. Um, any thoughts about that? Any thoughts about the, you know, and let it go wherever it wants, but the, this particularly 
that some, you know, that we're even listening to eugenics advocates at this point about anything. Yeah, man. Yes. Somebody um, described Darwinism as a self-fulfilling philosophy. Mm. And I think there are great there are great many self-fulfilling philosophies out there. Uh, and so a lot of them are beneficial and probably very healthy, but uh, the Darwinism thing is getting is it's gotten out of hand. It's really dangerous. Um, you know, um, Charles Darwin, uh, gosh, we have another Charles, another King Charles is coming into play right now at a very crucial time when a lot of people, have a have a manufactured drastic opinion of humanity in general. <laughs> right, right. And here comes another King Charles to reinforce this idea that we all have to be crabs in a bucket uh, at right. their beck and call. So uh, King Charles the third, no less. Um, and a lot of these social contracts that we're still kind of stuck on uh, and we're all catching up on, we're doing our homework to learn about these social contracts that these tar babies that keep getting us in, yeah. Um, they follow the the bloodline of the Charles. You know, King Charles the first lost his head. Uh, then uh, sovereignty was dissolved unto the people, and then they uh, issued writs of reprisal. Prize law was launched onto uh, onto the masses. Milton's Paradise Lost pops off. Uh, the Leviathan pops off. Right now, there's an oil field in the Middle East called the Leviathan. That's going to be a hot spot. The Leviathan is Thomas Hobbes' work on the social contract. So the social contract is on the burner uh, presently. So these words and these names have a long legacy of social engineering. And I think that's really the important part is that we, that we, that we hear these pings, these buzzwords, right. but they go, some of these buzzwords are more important than others. I think they have a longer history And the Leviathan is a good, Oh, prize law is a very important one. Um, the fact that right now, um, the Magna Carta is not what people think it is. <laughs> like if you, if a lot of people are about to have that Christmas, that Christmas dinner conversation, <laughs> yep. the Magna Carta might need a couple uh, sprinkled into, if we're going to seed consciousness of our loved ones, the Magna right. Carta might need to be looked at because we're right now we're in the age of the year 10,000 and 50 something when the Magna Carta was put in place. Right. And so, yeah. We're in international waters in a fascinating way. So I want to name one more character who's in with this pirate, uh, this writs of reprisal and issuing uh, piracy on the open seas. Right. Um, his name is Hugh de Groot. And mm. Hugh de Groot is, uh, he's called the Mozart of international law. And I think a lot of what's going on with the birth certification and the writs of reprisal, uh, the Stamp Act, the Impression Act. Right now, we got all these people going across in, in international, looking for paperwork that will yep. justify their life, and they're gonna they're gonna put them in conscription. They're gonna give right. them a gun and give them exactly. here. I'll give you a piece of paper if you go kill these people for me. Yeah, if you live, you get this citizenship. Is, yes, yes, this is fascinating times. But the history of it is crucial because it threads to Panama. It threads to the Mexican Civil War, and it threads to Panama and what happened uh, there. Strangely enough, th these are the seeds, the um, the recipe for revolution for Mexico were the seeds that grew into, over time, turned into the Espionage Act today. 
And so uh, that's going to be an, an ancient whip that's going to come cracking any day now. Uh, they make people uncomfortable, so they have to make these life-altering decisions, move around in the world, and then um, and then they start changing the laws, moral relativity, and pull the rug out from under people when they just adjusted to a huge shaking of the ant jar. So I'm really dancing around a lot of words I can't say, you know? Um, but there are theories that they're trying to make illegal to talk about, and it has to do with immigration. It's right. so it's like an earthquake. It's a psychic earthquake. I yeah. think the idea of like making people go into an immigration pattern and then swooping them up to go and do, do the bidding of, of the machine. Hmm. You know, I, I sense several branching paths from this moment, but I actually thought of a musical idea because I'm kind of slapping together a book and I'm going to be doing some seminars locally at the library, like once a month about how music theory can be used to kind of change your life no instrument required. And I was thinking about how you just talking about immigration so much. And this idea of Spain's coming to the Caribbean, England's coming to the Caribbean. It's not immigration, but suddenly everyone is living there. It's almost this forced immigration. It is occupation at the same time though. Right. And musically, there's a concept of this. If you're in a key, let's say a major, and you want to move to a new key, a new tonal center, this is called modulation. If you simply imply a different key for a moment, it's called tonicization. And it's the same idea, you know, this immigration occupation, it's either forced or you either have to go there for whatever reason. But often there is like a, there's an, there's almost an entitlement. And, and then the conscription thing is this whole like, who's leaving their own country to fight for someone else's? It's, it's a very surprising concept, right? But they're enticing them. We'll give you a cell phone. We'll give you a Lexus. You're good to go, you know? Unreal. And a lot of times, thankfully, and some of the stories that I read that there was a little bit of a scorched earth thing going on where they're like, they're coming, we're going to lose, burn the whole place to the ground and bring the riches on the first boat you can find, you know? So a lot of times they didn't get to plunder the entirety of the towns and areas that they were finding. So at least there's that, you know? If history's correct, we're dealing with some people that may just be myths and it's it's hard to know sometimes. But I love what you said about all of that, the especially public versus private, the conscription thing and the reprisals. Because earlier I mentioned the letter of marquee and reprisal. This is all, it's it's all coming full circle. And uh, there's a lot of the things you've talked about a lot, the law of the sea, law of the land. It goes so deep. And I think that maybe that'll be second half stuff. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if we get there. But, um, <laughs> you know, what I didn't know one one thing I didn't know, one of many things I didn't know when I was researching this, is that Colombia and France had their stake in Panama first. And the U.S. had to kind of kick out the other ones. Well, France failed at making a, a canal after they had made the Suez Canal. And then uh, Colombia, the U.S. pretty much said, look, you got to go. We're, we're doing this canal. There's nothing you can do about it. And I've got a little story to tell about that, but about a restaurant. I used to go to a Colombian restaurant because I am half Colombian. But I think we'll get to that later. That's not totally not important right now. Well, interestingly enough, and I'll leave this for you. The Panama Canal was finally finished in 1914 and started 10 years prior. That's one year after the Federal Reserve, right? Are we even remotely surprised? World War I is happening, essentially, and we're, this is what we're up to. You know, we're always spending our dollars elsewhere. 
which is another thing to mention regarding the immigration and the conscription. They come here, people are always like, they're stealing our money, but most of our money is being thrown to the wind and it's not really being stolen per se here. And the ones that have it just blow it on drugs and gambling. So it's not like the money here is doing us that much good either. And it's not real money anyway. It says legal tender. Can't really use it a lot in a lot of places anymore. So, <laughs> oh man, there's so much to talk about there. But take whatever you want or go and ride with it. I think we're we're finding some very yeah. interesting threads here. Absolutely. Um, well, uh, I'll, I'll kind of bring in the uh, some of the research around H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. And, I, and now I'm talking, I'm going to talk about the man, but I'm also talking about the consciousness behind him and the, uh, the, the cult of Lovecraft, right. which is pathologically dismissive. Mm. <laughs> That's their whole jam is it anything goes uh, because this is for fun. Like this is all cosplay. We're just having fun. Sure. Right. But that, right. that, that, yeah, that lays an amazing amount of terrain for consistent a uh, valid encoding of information. The Cthulhu Pantheon is legit. It is legit. It is systematically uh, uh, well-researched and it's based on a, a hermetic right. system, uh, which is basically what the tarot does uh, also. Um, so that is fascinating to find out that it's not all fun and games because I can I can take the same ideas through the tarot and you know this is a, a complete psychological uh, uh, Nexian stone or Rubik's cube. That's the best way to think of it. Mm, okay. Yeah. Wow. It's a psychological Rubik's cube. You know, and the Cthulhu thing fits on perfectly. So I'll, let me just kind of weave this in. We did. Yeah, we've done yeah, a lot of research on the Lovecraft stories. Yep. Lovecraft, his sanctuary is in uh, Rhode Island. Right. All all roads lead to Rome, and sure enough, right along that parallel, um, he's on the forty first parallel at Rhode Island, and that line goes pretty much to the Vatican. Wow! Uh, and it yes, and it also is the eye line of the Sentinel shape in the uh the united states has a, right. a profiled character on the mississippi river his eye line is the 42nd parallel up there about looking right at um the vatican and it goes through a bunch of the different states actually spell out like i don't know there's like three i's and some o's the different states actually spell things on his eye line it's a, it's an old weave of ours but it goes through uh uh H.P. Lovecraft signed all of his papers. I am uh, Providence. I am Providence. And so the eye of Providence is the eye of the Sentinel cutting right through going to the Vatican. And so when you cut through Lovecraft's house uh, and you uh, he's at this 41.7, something like that. Right. Um, which 417 is a frequency, a harmonic on the Enneagram, by the way. But anyways, his little location there triangulates to a location where Aleister Crowley summoned Tutulu in a ritual on the exact day and the exact time. There's like a huge list of consistencies of the Crowley ritual that Lovecraft immortalized in his fiction. So they're stitching reality and fiction. The coordinates of the ritual is a 90-30 in Louisiana. That's a big Thelemic number. And guess what? Is it 9030 in Louisiana? Is the Panama Canal, Louisiana? 
Mm. It's so this pressure point of the of this numerical cipher that these guys are all into, it is pointing at this umbilicus, this pressure point, this dantian. The dantian is the hara center of the of uh, in martial arts in right. in body work, and we've learned that uh, the word dantian in Chinese it actually means the field of cinnabar. The field of cinnabar is actually what Dantian means, and that is where they, uh, that is what uh, mercury comes out of this, uh, that's red mercury, cinnabar, right. cinnabar, I think I'm saying that right, yeah, is red mercury. Think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then they extract it and process it and mercury comes out of that. So in the most fascinating way, this coordinate system also corresponds to a lot of anatomical um, pressure points. Right. And yeah, so this uh, is a naval port. I mean, that kind of says it all too. You know, Louisiana is a naval port where the Mississippi goes through. Here, this Panama is another naval port. So that Dantian Hara center of uh, of a like a homunculus of consciousness of some sort. Uh, it, it's uh, it's precious. That's incredible, dude. That's absolutely incredible. Um, you know, the ninety thirty thing really struck me when you were saying, as we, you had mentioned it the other day. And I did not know about this other Panama Canal. And I'm not surprised as far as where it is, because the Gulf must have some kind of impact on what's going on in that, you know, that watery area there. And a lot of uh, travel would leave from that port to go to Panama also, because it's one of the closer spots. And I'm sure that it was just a, one of the more popular ports that there is in this country, no matter what. I mean, where so many different things came through there. We're told, you know, all the slaves that came through Cuba... It's just a very important place. There's a lot going on there. And much like where I'm from, Long Island, there's tons and tons of secret little spots all over the place. Rich people, a Hedron Collider. There's so many things going on there. People know that that's a place to be. Crowley knows that that was a place to be too at um, you know, in Louisiana. He keeps coming up. He's just touched. Whether he was there touching or not, people reference and use his work for so many different things. Almost yeah. as an excuse to do whatever they want half the time, which I'm sure you're aware of. And it's incredible, dude. It's absolutely incredible. Yes. Uh, so in Louisiana, there is a Lafayette, Louisiana, mm -hmm. which is L. Ron Hubbard's name. His first name is Lafayette. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. The, the Lafitte is one of the most popular pirate names there is. <laughs> and they, these Lafitte are leaving a trail for the treasure maps. And so all the Lafitte families have claim to treasure maps. And I'm sure L. Ron Hubbard was, was using that to his advantage all through the Masonic orders. There is an amazing field of research. I don't know her name. I feel horrible. I'm going to vague post this. Uh, there's a, there's a, a link between L. Ron Hubbard and Michael Aquino. Really? Somebody has a, a, a beeline on, uh, Aquino being L. Ron Hubbard's son. Oh, really? Fascinating. Yes. So there's Crowley, Louisiana, next to L. Ron Hubbard, Lafayette, mm -hmm. which is basically pirate. The uh, It's like a pirate king family name, Lafayette. Right. There's one in every state. There's a Lafayette in like every state. Yeah, you're right. Which is a treasure hunt of its own right. Then there's a Clinton <laughs> right next to these cities. The, these family lineages, they, and then it goes right by Baton Rouge. So yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of crucial names kind of tethered into uh, this nexus point uh, around the foot 
of the this character who is hidden in the state profiles. That's what I love. It's a uh, it's subliminal, and you kind of feel like you have like I don't know. You're like on the inside track when you know about these symbols and these shapes that nobody else sees. You like you feel guilty. It's a strange guilty pleasure to be like you know to your friends like hey do you see this character and they're like yeah whatever that's funny and you're like no look it's his his ass is tucked in to arkansas his <laughs> arkansas is that it's in okulohoma the ass of the character is in okulohoma <laughs> texas is literally the throne of this gigantic sentinel character and all these terms about his ass are encoded in the cities right behind the butt of the sentinel so uh yeah these are old weaves but they do thread right to Panama because of the pressure points, because the sacred numerology that is kind of baked into their system. Right. Um, of course, we could. there's the dollar bill is a fundamental of the way the matrix works here. Uh, that's the limit AF. <laughs> right. And then they always work in their 93s uh, as well. Uh, wow. But yeah. Uh, do, can I bring them the full card to show everybody some of the yeah, yeah, uh, about the NASA? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, g give me a second. You go ahead. I'll I'll dig it out and send it to you. All right. All right. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I was thinking about um. Well, I wrote down several things that I didn't answer from before, but maybe we're past it. But um, the Cthulhu rising out of the water, always making me think of Godzilla, no matter what. But it's Leviathan as well, and which you had mentioned. But that kind of what makes me think of the Hydra constellation that you were mentioning. And we're going to show that later. Because it's absolutely finding its way here, and um, in in big ways, it's it's kind of huge. And I think you guys will agree it's 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 pretty much out of control. Yeah, I'll get this. I'll get this up here in a sec. Um, nice. Incredible, dude. So incredible. anybody who's been on the Slick Dissident adventure with me uh, probably knows about discovering the Bowotes constellation in the Thoth deck, in particular. And it is a really long uh, story of why that would be significant. I'll try to be concise. Hmm. But from the Greek perspective, the poets are, are actually a slave. They're actually weak. They're looked down upon uh, in a strange way because, they're, uh, because they are servitors of inspiration. Right. And I really have a hard time even speaking in this paradigm because it's just not the way I think I think of artists is like, uh, should be elevated and encouraged and like promoted and, you know, but the Greeks somehow they just kept the, uh, they kept the artists in a position of, of, uh, of um, kind of second class, but so they didn't, the Greeks aristocracy, they didn't even read their own read to themselves. They had other people read for them. So they would have their slaves read because reading is for the weak. And this wow. is so weird, but you have to. So this is why Boates is the, for the poets. This is also, it's a void, it's a chasm, it's emptiness. And that's what's required to draw in the inspiration of, of, the, of the art. And so the poet is a conduit, but they have to get out of their own way. They have to evacuate themselves. You have to become in to make yourself open to inspiration. So the right. poets are very perfectly correspondent with the Buotes void. Now, if I wanted to put like a, a Catholic spin or some kind of dogmatic spin on what that means, people are going to say they're opening themselves up to possession 
Right. They're making themselves spiritual possessed. Well, that's what the guy on the stage is doing when he puts his leg on the amp and he's right. digging in. He's yeah. getting some inspiration. He's showing you his inspiration, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so this is contentious because everybody, some people think it's demonic. Other people think it's Crowley and other people think it's uh, whatever, just human nature. Maybe, you know, it is, it's beautiful. So for, to me, so this bullet taste is impo important, but it's a boot. It's also a boot. And the boot is, uh, again, with the Lafayette and the feet uh, and the leg ends. Leg and dairy, yes. Ah. Uh, yes. And th so these little signs and symbols, they are a bit of a treasure map to, for the inside click for these pirate, for the pirate class. Um but on my channel, I've discovered that Buotes is hiding out in the full card along his leg. There's a void, an empty uh, space next to his thigh. And also under his arm is another very interesting shape. And these two shapes, in, in my assessment, are corresponding to the Buotes void in the Aura Altair constellation. Because there's mind-altering substance under his elbow. And so these two shapes, when you put them on top of uh, North America and South America, it's like a hand in a glove. It's like they took they found the two constellations that when you pack when you superimpose them onto the Americas, uh, they make N A S A North America and South America. And so, uh. I think you said yeah, so I put this graphic together. Yeah, the, you can see the uh, Panama uh, Panama Canal in Louisiana. Is it the 9030? You can see some of those. Uh, maybe you can see better than I can, but you can see some of the states or some of the counties and uh, towns I was pointing out. But at the bottom of the full card is this alligator. And it's been kind of bothering me. You know, I know about Sobek. I know about the mythology of this alligator, but he's tucked behind the boot. And I'm looking at the way that the, the boot of the Fool card overlaps with the alligator. And if that Buotes constellation is South America, therefore, the alligator has to be Drake's Passage. Drake's Passage is at the southern tip of South America. And Drake was the predecessor of Captain Morgan. Uh. And he was trying to outdo uh, Frederick Drake. And uh, over uh, overstep the boundaries that Drake had laid before. So there's like a, a, a pirate passing of the torch from right, Drake right. because they named the passage after him. And now Morgan is like, forget you guys with your Drake's passage. I'm going to cut a Panama Canal through the middle, yeah. and we're going to blast our way all the way to the all the way west in the manifest right. destiny. Right. Just men always having their way, doing their thing ruining all the beautiful things that there are i'm uh you know actually look i'm going to pull up another one that you sent me a bit because i think this is worth you you said it and i really want to show it now because you it, it's it's worth it for sure but is it this the, the dark vader with the eight no this is you had the you know you had the continents lined up perfectly I want to quickly show that okay i think it, it's worth it i because we're i really want to get you know more into the umbilical idea Mm -hmm. Let's see what I can do here. All right, here we go. So yeah, this this was a. Uh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. 
it was just so synchronous that uh that this was on your mind uh because it is so correspondent um i'm i have more and more appreciation for passageways and portals and thresholds and crossing over uh initiations are things you can't take back and it's only the first one that's important it's only the first step uh that's crucial i see and so uh all yeah all aspects of controlling these uh bottlenecks or these portals uh become increasingly uh magical they become increasingly magical because they have um, uh, more and more rarity as they increase in rarity they increase in value so aura is hiding out in the word america they're constantly talking about change, changing America. The word, uh, the constellation is altar. It's an altar. altar so the word right. change is invoking this table. Mm -hmm. And so now we have climate change. We have all the things with the plus sign on the back end of it. The right. plus and the, and the multiplication is the symbol of change. So the uh, loose change from the 9-11, uh, this, this constellation is in the shape of the steel beams that were that were displayed in the movie loose change so what i'm finding with this is i think this is the blip i think this is the anthanos fauci snap mm. that is giving a command and a subliminal le level for people to accept uh the overton window of uh social engineering but isn't this fascinating how it all lines up and then Drake's Passage controls the climate. It turns out you research Drake's Passage and then they call it a choke point. Choke this point. fool card is literally getting choked by this this crook. Right. And then um and then the ocean currents are said to spiral around all over the place. Well, that's the swirl that uh, is in uh, like an umbilical cord around this fool card. Wow, that's a good start to all the we're, we're just getting started folks. I mean, really, there's there's a good amount to get to here. Um, th that's amazing. Okay. You know, I think maybe I can, I'll show this one. I was going to save it for the last one, but for the next one, but check this out, right? You were talking about Hydra, talking about Leviathan. Here is an overhead of the Panama Canal with all of its points. Take a look at the Hydra constellation. I mean, it really, it's as close as it could possibly be. And this is just what we were showing with the full card. Uh, it's unbelievable. Actually, are you able to uh, are you able to flip it? That does fit. That does fit there. really well. I can't flip it in here. I found it, uh, but it would take me a minute. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it fits so well, man. Look at well, that. With, um, with like Panama and the overhead of North and South America. Yeah, that's incredible, man. This is, in it's crazy. And so Hydra, of course, is a, it's a very long constellation. It runs through the fall. It bridges the fall equinox, hmm. but, uh, um, and it uh, is approaching, um, Hercules in his station where he is. It's like leading right up to him. Um, but the, uh, Hercules slaying the Hydra is, a it's a, one of his accomplishments, one of his labors. Oh, and man. the name of the labor is like, um, uh, there's a name of the Hydra. It's like the Leonian Hydra, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that rings a bell. Because it's so close to Leo, too. But um, that whole labor is an anagram for learn the Enneagram. Wow. 
the oh, uh, the Leonian Hydra is uh is right. You uh, had because that I other. learned that yeah. the word yeah the word Hydra and the word Gram are almost the, basically the same gematrological phrase. Right. Um, yeah. So this I think the uh, yes yes there it is. Learn Enneagram. I am finding Enneagram all over the place, including Argentina. The word Argentina is tangerine. Right. An anagram for tangerine, mm -hmm. but it's also Enneagrat. Uh -huh. It's like one letter off from Enneagram. It's pretty fun. And then we were discussing those uh, rat lines, and Argentina is the most famous one, obviously. I mean, it was even a joke in Yellow Submarine, the Argentina joke about it. You know, Hitler, who knows where these things pop up. But, um, a lot more of that's been popping up lately, too. And speaking of Austria and Germany, you mentioned the Mozart of the sea. or What, was, what, did, what did you say? The Mozart of what? Uh, De Groot? What was he the Mozart of? Uh, international law. Of international, international law. Right? law. Well, what could be more deceiving than that crap, right? So, and we're keeping the language light here, folks. But Mozart, I think, now, yes, genius, child, prodigy, kind of enslaved by his father to be the thing that Michael Jackson was, fine. Whatever, I'm not going to deny or, or anything like that. But he was a Freemason. He definitely had some very interesting ideas in how he wrote his operas. But he was a, a big deceiver. Because how often are we finding, and I'm sure you've had this problem, a book is completely written in Latin by someone who grew up in Germany. And, and it's just hiding things for all these educated people to be able to read. You know, He wrote operas in Latin and German and French. And, you know, Latinized German. Incredible. That's, that's deception. If you don't know, how would you know? Why would somebody in Germany write, a, write an opera in Italian if most people can't even take it, uh, take it for what it is, right? So I, I thought, when you said the Mozart of that, I was thinking deception all the way, right? That's just like the first thing that came to mind. And you know what? I think we're getting close to maybe what would be the first half. So why don't we flash the Panama flag and this other alternate flag that just is crazy looking, and I think everyone at home will agree, um, here is the actual Panama flag, right? And the other flag has this idea also, where there's kind of an A, B, masculine, feminine, night, day. It's the two oceans on the either side of Panama. That's the whole idea of this here, right? But does this invoke any other ideas for you before I show that other flag, which is 10 times crazier? <laughs> uh well uh it is definitely comporting to the empirical uh color standards with the red white and blue red, red and blue yep um uh or imperial i always get yeah. those confused i think i yeah imperial um i learned recently that um red green and white mm. are actually mithraic oh, okay. uh so there is yeah there is kind of like a uh, occulted tension in the color codes um but yeah this this definitely kind of has that dutch uh india trading company uh flavor Absolutely. Uh, not rebellious definitely no. the uh the conformers on this oh, one certainly i i'm sure this was not their very first idea for a flag when <laughs> if they ever wanted one yes. it's like you don't have to have yes. a flag right it's like everyone's team the world world sports team and here it is so then there was this other one that it's right on the Panama flag. If you look up Panama flag, you'll find it. And it it kind of made things a little crazier for me. You know, I, I might be cut off the bottom a little bit. It has 13, uh, just like, you know, just like us. But okay. this 
what could be taken so many different ways. It's supposed to be, again, the two oceans and how they meet now because of the canal, right? But, I mean, I'm seeing zygotes. I'm seeing all kinds of stuff, right? What, what, what's the first thing that comes to mind here, man? Because this flag is nuts, <laughs> dude. Also, the red-yellow here is Colombia and Spain being represented, by the way. Yes, yes. Um, okay, uh, okay. The one thing will be uh, you guys. Have you seen the cannonball that is actually two cannonballs chained together? Oh yeah. yeah. It's a it's a type of cannonball that actually is designed so that they uh, that the chain rips things like a saw. It's like yeah, a like flying a, saw. A clothesline. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And so, with that in mind. Let's consider the idea of a Gnostic breakaway sect of like, oh, right, you thought Jesus died. Well, we believe he had a twin brother that survived, or or he did a, a, a blowfish sedation spell, so he looked dead on the cross, they pulled down a living man, and he went on to France, and we have the bloodline of France over here. Right. Uh, so this is the twin brother. This is the, uh, the Gospel mm. of Thomas. Thomas literally means twin, so we have like... Uh, you guys got your Jesus over here, but we were preserving this second branching or a uh, uh, even the word uh, twig is actually a grafting or a cloning from the family tree. But right, the right. reason I'm saying that in relation to canon is because that's canon. The, the Bible is the, the canon, canon the, the canon of the story. Uh, wow. But the coloration of the stripes being yellow and red, that is all Spain. That is like Spain, Spain, Spain. It's cr crying out with Spain. <laughs> um, and now, this is a real Gnostic uh, nugget that people can use uh, for them for their own benefit going forward. Is the the crown of espinas? The word thorns is espinas, and the word espina is the word Spain. <laughs> wow! So he is wearing a crown of Spain. Crown of Spain. Corona de Spain. Yes, it's so there is a there is a theory that I really love that has a lot to do with Barcelona as an actual location of a New Testament event. It may have had more to do with uh rebel it had more to do with the crusades than we like to mm -hmm. think about. It's a very traumatic uh dichotomy. Uh, of the fate of man around the crusades that happened in Spain. I don't want to make any claims, man, but I think uh, I think there's a re some renegade agency in Barcelona that caused the, a, a toppling of um, of a world system. And we're not supposed to think about that mark in history. We're not allowed to think about it. It's like muddied beyond uh, reason. Yeah. But I think that uh, Barcelona was actually where New Testament events happened in some way, shape, or form way right. more recently than we're told. And they're pushing things back so far in the past that it's a, it's an unreasonable psychic ask that you feel like you're taking a leap of faith to think it was 2,000 years ago, when in fact, some of what happened in Spain that kicked off those crusades, man— uh, was way more recently and is way more important because we're still dealing with the treaties and the fallout from the prize law from those crusades. From the prize law. Way to bring it around, man. Wow. Oh, my God. You know, uh, I, I think 
we've we've already branched off into so many different things. And while once or twice we might have kind of been a little tangential, we overall, this is all because of we're talking about the Panama Canal. It's incredible. You know, and we really didn't even get into what it originally inspired me to even want to do this. So I'm looking forward to that. You know, <laughs> we've got lots of little nuggets for you guys. Um, going to be relating the cross section of female anatomy, a uterus, all kinds of other things that just completely line up with the maps of the Panama Canal. And I wonder, I wonder where we'll go. You know, we have, there's a small outline here, sure. But there, there's more to it, man. You know, I, I guess we maybe we can end with this because your expertise on this is essentially second to none, the Enneagram. If you look at it a certain way, the, the Enneagram has that opening at the bottom, right? And I can almost imagine, you know, ships going into it. And I wonder if we can somehow pull it off inside the Panama Canal itself or Panama. Because, again, the impetus for this episode was that North and South America were severed. The umbilical cord was cut, much like modern science just wants you to do right away. Meanwhile, you can leave that thing on for as long as it goes until it, it comes off. And I do, coming back to the very one of the very first things you said with the, the essential rivers flowing through the umbilical cord, right, from the placenta to the baby. I, one of my favorite little tiny books that he calls a little uh, pamphlet, Manly P. Hall, had the occult anatomy of man, which I certainly suggest He's got more than that, but this is a little one that's a nice quick read. Much like my new book, as, as a matter of fact, a nice quick read that's dense yet quick. He mentioned how some of the biblical terminology and some of the rivers are, are referenced to, you know, how many types of fluids come in and out of the umbilical cord. And I hope, I, didn't, I know we didn't talk about this actually, you had been discussing on a show that me and my wife have both been on and you're on all the time, the... Uh, Bush Whisperer Roundtable, where some incredible things come out in a very long-form uh, topic show. You had mentioned the the concept of inheritance and how a lot of that is stolen from us in the modern medical system regarding birth. This is one of the many reasons my wife is training to be a real good old-fashioned midwife, and I am so proud. But I'm hoping we can touch on that in the second half here, because severing that cord doing whatever men feel like doing in this area, that can really steal some inheritance from the land that is not getting half the credit that it needs to. Just the United States yeah, alone is hiding a lot of things and people are really starting to figure it out. And it's very exciting. Yeah. It's all very exciting. Yep. Yeah, buddy. Uh, so I believe that this placental estate, mm -hmm. the full estate, the full treasure is the keystone. And I think this literally uh, closes the divide, the corpus callosum. I think that there is a a whole nother level of sensory perception uh, that goes to places undiscovered by us. And I think the placenta is the key to that, to, uh, to closing the gap. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, you know, some people might even think of this as the ubermensch. Right. You know, this is like the, the Nietzschean Ubermensch, you know, uh, the, the placental twin is your big brother. Right. And these things are intentionally vilified. This is why Germans, the word German means Hermanos, mm -hmm. you know, and even your, uh, uh, your, her yeah. So the placental twin is intentionally vilified. And I have a lot of fun, like, uh, kind of 
wiggling people out of these stigmas and these trigger terms. Mm, me too. Uh, but but I want to I want to share. You nailed it with um, uh, the shape of the enneagram having that gap, and that gap having to do with the Panama Canal. In my assessment on the enneagram, that's the five to the four gap. Um, that is a, a spark gap of inspiration. That's where uh, love comes through. Love and the code comes through that gate. Can you pull up that last one I sent you, and we'll kind yes. of tease people for the. This is a. Th this is not related to our project. This is like a kind of a brainstorm uh, of um, all things Pegasus. In my assessment, the Millennium Falcon is a Pegasus constellation. Hmm. And it. Uh, the more I work with it, the more I realize that the Enneagram was in the Millennium Falcon all along. And the Millennium exactly Falcon true. is a docking vessel. <laughs> it's designed that gap in the Millennium Falcon is exactly what you were just suggesting, George. Oh, you right. You suggested that the gap in the Enneagram is where has to do with the Panama Canal. And I'm telling you that in the Millennium Falcon, uh, that gap is signified by its uh, purpose, its cause, its special purpose. Like <laughs> wow. Um, and so I think it's very fascinating that the fate of the Millennium Falcon mm. was correspondent to what the Panama Canal is doing uh, for humanity. And that becomes a touchstone. That becomes a cultural nexus point where we can all see eye to eye or uh, touch on this metaphor uh, and uh, have uh, common ground uh, for the shared experience uh, of, the, of the realm. So... Yeah, the Millennium Falcon is totally the Enneagram, and you nailed it with that placenta, uh, the Panama Canal correspondence as it brings in the shipping container into birth. Into the shipping birth. container into birth. I think most of people here know uh, all of the birth metaphors of right. this uh, of this sacred system. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll flesh it out in the next one on the next I think side. So. I, I I do. Yeah, I buddy. think we will. You know, and I'll leave it with the placenta as. We thankfully had a really lovely doula and midwife with our last child and the one before, and we had our placenta made into, you know, they put it out and, and then you get the imprint of this, what looks like a world tree. And it's unbelievable. And, um, awesome. I mean, that's, it says a lot. And I have my ideas about what country may be a placenta. Maybe somebody already guessed it by just watching, but we are, we got a lot more to go on this one. And I really hope you guys find us at Rockfin or Patreon. That's where... The next part of this episode will be your insights are unbelievable and i'm just so honored to know you and i think that we really have some amazing conversations just for fun on the side and um seeing what you've been posting in your telegram groups the videos you've been putting out and every time you're on interverse it's just unreal so please let people know where they can find you where they can support you anything whatever you have right absolutely thank you so kindly um, yeah, Slick Dissident is my YouTube channel name. I also, uh, as you mentioned, I'm down with uh, Chance over on the Interverse. Uh, you can also find me with Zeralath. He and I are going to get down here pretty soon. We're going to do a little side Loki thing. He's, you know, he wants to rep represent his Norse, his North Norse uh, click. Um, so yeah, you'll see me on Zeralath and. Uh, I also uh, still get down with Juan every once in a while. He's been uh, he's been pretty busy lately, but I get down with Juan. And you know, I should flash his Occultist Mundi. People should check out uh, one on one's Occultist Mundi magazine. Uh, if people start 
bugging him about it, then he'll get off his ass and make the next issue. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So so that's a good one to push too. So yeah, much appreciation. It is such an honor to be here. Uh, I'm so glad that you invited me, my friend. Yes, of course, of course. And uh, thank you, everyone, for watching. I think, um, you know, this channel's got some pretty exciting stuff coming. And the the audience is growing. I'm finally on all podcasting sites. I'm on Rumble. I've I've kind of gotten to all the places that I've meant to all this time. And uh, the Rockfin is growing too. And YouTube is, it's getting dicey. I mean, things things happen, lose views, lose things. It's, it's tough. You get shadow banned pretty easily. And I think that there's a good community on Rockfin. So find me there. Find me on Patreon. I've got a Teespring shop with all kinds of fun merch, a 10% sale for the rest of the year. And I have my brand new book. If there's anything I highly suggest of my own, it wouldn't be this coffee mug. The coffee mug's great. The puzzle's great. Whatever. I, this book is the ethos of what I have for this show, all kind of wrapped up into one thing. And I'm, I'm, I really want to actually change lives just by having someone read it, no matter where you are in your studies or if you're just there or you're not. I have my thoughts about Lucasfilms and stuff of that nature, but I do recall when they were about to uh, cast him in iron, what did they do to Han Solo? I forgot. They, they turned him into Onyx. What did they turn him into? Carbonite. Carbonite, right. And and then she says, I love you, right? And he's like, I know. Like, <laughs> and yeah, right, right. It, it, right. And it's almost as if she finally became enlightened and he's been totally enlightened all along. My point is her or him would get a lot out of this book. That's my point. So thank you so much, everybody. We'll catch you on the flip side at Rockfin or Patreon. Talk to you soon.